All right, well, if I haven't said so yet, my name is Slim. I'm one of the pastors here at Mosaic, and it is a delight to see all of you here uh, this January. Some songs just get stuck in your head. Yes? I, I can just, by saying a few words of the beginning of a song, it will now forever be stuck in your head this service. I don't even have to sing it. All I have to do is say, Baby Shark. <laughs> I have so many glares. Don't you do that. <laughs> and it just, it just lingers in your, in your mind forever, right? <laughs> We've got some dance in the back. I like that. Um, <laughs> or, or it doesn't have to be that song. You could even say something like, if I'm blue, da-da-dee-da, that just is going to, there's a never-ending moment <laughs> to that song, and I'm getting more glares. There's some songs that just stick, that are just constantly in your head, and it's annoying. However, there are some songs that you want to be stuck in your head. There are some songs that you're like, it's just so good, i got to listen to it again. And some of you who live with roommates or someone else, they're like, ah, oh, that person just sings that song all the time. But to the person singing it, you've got to sing it. You've got to find its deeper level. And so for me, uh, a song that had been played over and over and over and sung over and over and over uh, was somebody that I used to know. I'm not going to sing it. Um, <laughs> I wore that song out. <laughs> um, another song uh, that was... Early on uh, in our marriage that Krista would tell you was a song that I just sung all the time was The Darknesses, uh, I Believe in a Thing Called Love, um, <laughs> in that high-pitched squealing voice <laughs> uh, that just went all over over. Uh, currently, it feels like um, just sneaking around every corner in our home is uh, the Hamilton soundtrack. Um, just <laughs> any, any phrase might trigger... <laughs> the chorus to that song or whatever part, the whole soundtrack. Um, and so there's some songs you're just like, I've got to sing it. I've got to sing it. It makes it better if we, if we continue singing it. And so this morning, I want to tell you about another song uh, that, that makes you feel like you need to sing it. And it's the title of our sermon. It's the Song of Salvation. Uh, but I don't just want to tell you about it. I think the, the author here wants to invite you to sing about it. And so the three points here are the song, the Savior, and the shout. Nothing's changed so far in 2023. We have our alliterated sermon, the song, the savior, the shout. Um, and so the song. If you are new um, or if you've tuned out uh, for the last couple of weeks, we're in the book of Isaiah. Um, it is, uh, it's a very long book and we're only a fifth of the way through it. So you haven't missed much if, you, <laughs> if you're, this is your first time. Uh, but welcome in here. Isaiah is a prophet uh, and, and when we think of prophets, usually we think about them prophesying about the future. Um, and prophets do that, but I think most of the time, prophets are just God's mouthpiece speaking to God's people right now, of what's going on right now. Uh, and, and that's typically what happens, meaning right now in their day. However, there are times when the prophet does say something like, in that day, in that day, many times it follows that, is judgment is coming. In that day, the Lord will, will wipe out <laughs> things like this. However, in our passage today, if you remember that, in verse 1, it does begin in that day. And what we might expect is judgment. What we might expect is, is something fearful. We actually get one of the sweetest songs ever sung in Isaiah 12. And so already what we are learning is that judgment is not God's final word. Judgment is not God's final word. But before we get too deep into the passage, um, I think 
what we need to see here that it's hard to tell from the English, the English doesn't really help us understand this, is that the author has shifted the way that he's written before. It's, it's, this, it's this prophetic historical narration uh, to this poetic language. And so the author has shifted it from just a story to be read, but now it's a song to be sung. There's this poetry and this, this beauty that's happening here, and it's made clear in verse 5. Verse 5 says, um, it, it sounds like a psalm, if you're familiar with those. Sing to the Lord, for he has done glorious things. Like, right? That just sounds like that's straight out of the psalm book. But even more so, in verse 2, the NIV translates this kind of funny, and I love the NIV. I think there are many things I would prefer the NIV on. On this one, it's a little rough, though. It says in here, the Lord, the Lord himself is my strength and my defense, which is a good thing. The Lord is my strength and my defense. However, many, many other translations translate it in another way in saying that the Lord is my strength and my song. The Lord is my song. Isn't that beautiful? That, that God is my song. That the truths are made more powerful because they are put in lyrical language of worship rather than just descriptive language. In this way, the hearer as well as the reader has now been invited in to sing along and to really grasp the, deep, the depths of these words here. That we're no longer spectators. We've all been made participants to join in on the song. And so I, I thought, let's just all just sing this song. Um, does anyone have a version of that song that they can just sing out and we'll just join in on them? I thought this could be the worst idea or the, the, or the best idea. I planted the seed with some of the people on the music team. Did anyone come up with something? Yeah, okay, cool. <laughs> There's fear in <laughs> being the first to sing, and I'm not going to sing it. But <laughs> this, is, this is the part of the service that I think it's part of it, that when we, when we hear someone else sing it, it's easier to join in, right? <laughs> when you hear people around you sing, and you're like, oh, there's the key. I'll join in with them. <laughs> and that thing, that's, that's also the power of song, right? And, and songs invite you to sing along. Songs invite you. You want to sing with it. Isaiah is inviting you to sing it, to say it, and this is why we actually do liturgy. Some of you guys have wondered, why do you guys do that formal liturgy stuff, this call and response? The, the reason we do that, it's actually very purposeful so that we all see that it's not just people on the stage doing worship, leading worship, that it is every one of us participating in worship. And some of you guys may still not like liturgy. That's okay. But we want you to hear, this is why we do it. This is why you, you recited the, the very long Nicene Creed, right? It's that we are saying it together, that we are all in. And this is also, this is also why we ask you to serve in areas like hospitality. Oh, give, 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 give Angela a round of applause for all that hospitality, right? <laughs> it's not that just we come in, we're consumers and going, what is Mosaic serving me today? <laughs> no, we are, we are participants. People next to you probably helped put things together and things like that. So whether it's hospitality or being a greeter, we invite you to, do, to be on the stage to, to help with all of this, that we are all in together. There is no professionals involved here, right? And so one of the easiest ways to do that is to jump in through song. 
is just to sing, even if you're out of tune, but you can drown yourself out with the other people's voices. And so the prophets repeatedly describe God's people as, as going into these songs, and, and songs of praise and thanksgiving. I mean, there's, there's a whole book with 150 chapters, 150 chapters dedicated to this in the book of Psalms. It is the songbook of God's people. And that songbook is beautiful because it's not just how how big and mighty God is. Yes, it does. It sings about his majesty, but it also is, is singing about some laments and cries. It's, it's, it's the whole bank of the human emotion. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing from joy to sorrow. All of the songs are the, the, the strong emotions that are just welling up inside of the human being. And so I think sometimes what we realize is that words are just lacking. You ever felt that? This is true, but just saying it is lacking. So if I were just to say, I'm angry, I kind of don't feel like that's c communicating the depth of the anger. What I need right now is a double bass drum pedal. I need a distorted guitar and a man screaming or a woman screaming into the microphone, right? I need that rock rage at that time for that anger, right? That is what I want, I want to, to be listening to in that moment. But if I'm also feeling sad and alone, I don't, I don't just want to say I feel alone. I want to sing along with someone who is in tears pouring their heart out. There's something beautiful about the emotion because the words can be lacking. And when I hear of God's goodness, I don't want just to say, God is good. I can. I think there's something bigger and deeper when I can sing along that God is good. And you can feel it in your heart. There's something deeper along going on there. The words being put to music. God is inviting you to put the, your words to music because it's an outward it's an overflow of what's going on in your heart, and it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And we actually see this when Jesus comes on, on a cult into Jerusalem. You know what is, all the disciples did? It's not just the 12 disciples, but all of the disciples actually start bursting out in a praise song. And, and the leaders are like, make them stop, <laughs> right? In, verse, uh, in chapter, uh, Luke chapter 19, verse 37, it says, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees said to the crowd to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. <laughs> and I tell you, Jesus says, he replied, If they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. Oh. <laughs> if you try to stop someone's response to something so beautiful that they have to sing, creation itself will cry out in worship. Oh, it's so powerful. That the stones would cry out. We must respond. It's like an itch you have to scratch. And like, I used to hate musicals. People just be walking around talking, and then they just start singing. And I'm like, stop. Be normal. <laughs> just talk. <laughs> but now I get it. <laughs> That there's something you, words just can't do. You have to actually break out into song. I've got to tell you, show you how I'm feeling at a deeper, deeper level, at an inner feeling. And so I want to encourage you, don't let anyone snuff out your song. Don't let the teachers who, of the law or whoever snuff out your song. You, if you feel it, we've got to sing about this. This is something beautiful. And what you sing about, what is it? What, is, what, what you sing about is actually going to begin to shape you. Like what, what you, you've heard this before, like what we worship, we become. You are what you worship. And because the worship shapes the people of God to be the people of God 
for the world. It shapes who you are. And so what are they singing about? That's when we move from the song to the Savior. If you look at the, the, the communal hymn that's happening right here, I mean, it is completely Godward. It's beautiful. It, it's very rarely anything about the people here themselves. It's focusing all on God and all his greatness and all his beauty and majesty, but not just God, but God as Savior, God as a deliverer, God as, as the one who's going to make everything right. Verse 1 says, In that day you will say, I will praise you, Lord. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. Surely God is my salvation. Surely God is my salvation. And so God has been angry with his people. His people have, have been overlooking oppression. They've been allowing themselves to be led by bribes, by greed, by the lust of their eyes. They've worshiped other gods. They've sacrificed their own kids to these other gods. They, they, they've been doing ugly, ugly, ugly things. And God has responded by allowing Israel's enemies to come in. Right? But something turns his anger away. Something has turned God's anger away from them. Although you were angry with me, your anger has turned away and you have comforted me. When you think of God, is God a comfort to you? When you think of God and your relationship with God, does that, is it comforting? Or do you feel like it's oppressive? Do you feel like God's angry with you? How can you know how the relationship is, how it's, how it's going, if God is actually for you or against you? How can you know about that? And I think that's when we have to go, let's, we have to own what Scripture is telling us about God. Before you can sing of the God of salvation, you have to know that you need that salvation. Like, and so just really, all, all you need, that Scripture tells us, all you need is need. All you need is to say that I need you, Lord. I, I, can I see how my path and my sin has hurt the people around me in the mess that I've contributed to the world? And until we admit our need, there is, we, there is no salvation. Until we admit our need for a Savior, there is no Savior. All we have to say is I need you, Lord. And here's the good news. When we do call out for that salvation, we do call out, Lord, I need you. He comes. And God reiterates that. There's the good news that God is my salvation in verse 2. God is my salvation. Will you put that back up? That God is my salvation. How beautiful is that? It's not that God saves. He, he himself is salvation. That he is deliverance. If you know God, you know salvation. If you know God, you know deliverance. That it, 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 to know him is to be delivered. And to not know God is to be deluded about your deliverance. And not just was my salvation... God is my salvation now. That I need him now. That it's not something that's just going to go on in the future, but he is going to be my future salvation. But it's an ongoing salvation for all of my life. All of my life, my heart posture is I'm wholly dependent upon God for every single thing. Is that how you live? Or is that, no, I believed that back when I first became a Christian, that God was my salvation. Is he your salvation now? that I need Jesus now, that I, daily I need to confess my sin, daily I need to ask for forgiveness, daily I need to ask God, how can I love the people around me better? That is what we, we, were, we were confessing, that God is our salvation now. He is my salvation now, and I need him now. And I need him forever. Verse three says, with joy, 
Oh, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Oh, I love that picture. It reminds me of when I went on, on a backpacking trip when I was in high school. Uh, we went on a backpacking trip across the state of Colorado. We did not go across the whole state of Colorado, <laughs> but it felt like it. It was a five-day trip, and the first two days of the five-day backpacking trip, all you're doing is acclimating to the altitude, right? It, it, it feels like you're breathing through a straw. It's just constant, <gasps> and people have a very tough time breathing, and so we're all struggling through that, me and, me and a few friends. We have two guides. We're struggling through that, and we're all throwing up, and <laughs> all you can bring along with you is the camping gear and the food that you bring. And the food that you bring has to be light. And so you're eating crackers and spam and <laughs> the whole week. And then you're having um, a water bottle canteen with you. You can't bring a whole thing of water, a whole jug, you, whatever you can hold into your backpack because water's heavy. So you're now dependent on finding water on your trip across Colorado. Makes sense. We have two guides. One, one person from our, our other group, had a, had a medical injury, and so one of our guides had to go help. And the other guide didn't know the full, didn't know the plan. Didn't know where we were going as well. And so it wasn't until day four that we were all struggling, and you're walking and you're trying to find streams and rivers for water. Day four was the worst. Day four, you have, you have the altitude, you have the sun beaming down on you because you're so high up, you have your lack of water, and you're, you're walking across, and you're hoping you can find water, and this guide got us lost. We did not know where water was coming. And one of my friends, Andy, we were going down a steep, steep hill. He tumbles because he just passes out, and, he, and he, we, we, we awake him, and he's just dangerously dehydrated just dangerously dehydrated. And so we all pool our water together and give him our water, and now we are depleted of water. And so this is around noon. And now we're, we're walking. It took us another five hours to get to water, and we're all just dangerously dehydrated. The sun is still scorching. And when we finally get to our, our, our camping spot, we see the river. That's where we're camping at. We had to get to a river. The sun is completely down at this point. And... All of us are just struggling walking to this spot. And Andy, who we've, we've kind of carried along for a while, Andy leaves us and sprints to the river. And he just puts his whole head <laughs> into the water, just completely submerse, sub, submerses himself. That's a word. Thank you. I got a good head nod. <laughs> Don't worry about that. He completely submerses his head all the way underwater. And he just starts breathing the water. He just starts drinking everything. He, you could just see his belly. It's going. <laughs> and it's like, not the wisest decision. You're supposed to get the water canteens, put little water purifiers in so you don't have like bacteria and parasites and things like that. <laughs> However, the image that I saw at that moment was just so, so powerful. Of when you are so desperately thirsty, that all you want to do is just completely submerse yourself in water and just drink deep the wells. It is so powerful. And I'm just asking, is that how we see God's salvation? That we are so thirsty and so parched that we need it like that? Is God's salvation a well that we just want to drink? There's a... There's a, a, a powerful, powerful uh, image by uh, one of the, I think one of the greatest rappers of all time, Kendrick Lamar. Um, 
and his Good Kid, Mad City album, which is, I think, a, a, just a work of art. Um, it is basically, I, I, I think it's uh, Augustine's Confessions. Um, <laughs> and it traces the life of K-Dot, which I think is him, um, uh, and, and how he goes and searches for life in any and everything but God. And it, it, it gets crude, it gets crass, but he is drinking from broken cisterns, drinking salt water and liquor and whatever, trying to find true salvation. And finally, he gets, woke, he gets awakened to what his tr the true salvation is. And he says at the lowest point here, he says, you're dying of thirst, you're dying of thirst, so hop in the water and pray that it works. Are we dying of thirst in that way? And what is the water that, that, that Kendrick is talking about? It's the same water that Isaiah is talking about. It's the same water that Jesus is talking about when he's talking with the woman at the well in John 4. And we read this earlier, but in John 4, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but everyone who drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. I mean, that is a song to sing about. That is a song you want to write songs about. Because of how satisfying, how beautiful that water is. Like when you, whenever you are so thirsty and you taste that refreshing water, you're, you have an audible response, yes? It's like, it is, oh, it's so good. Like you have to respond to this. I need that. And this is what Jesus offers you. Is it water that will satisfy? Have you been running searching after the waters that the world is pushing towards you? Have you been dehydrating yourself on all the power and the lust and all the, the fantasies fulfilled and the influence and yet still parched and still thirsty? God is our salvation. God is your salvation. God is no longer angry at the cross. He dealt with your sin and the power of sin that was enslaving you, telling you that that's where salvation was, that that's what would satisfy you, says that that was salt water and Jesus defeats that power, and it's been mortally wounded. Yes, it's not been killed because you're still tempted to it. It doesn't mean it's dead, but this is why God is still your salvation, that you still have to reach out for, for him. And when you taste that water, this song of salvation, it makes you want to shout, right? Makes you want to shout, shout, let it all out. I told myself I wouldn't sing. I just, uh. But this, this, this is a sermon. You kind of have to sing it, right? <laughs> Verse 4 says, In that day you will say, God, praise the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Proclaim that his name is exalted. Verse 5, we read earlier. Sing to the Lord. Let's jump down to verse 6. It says, Shout aloud and sing for joy, people of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel among you. And so this song isn't a lullaby to, to put you to sleep. This is a praise chorus. It is an anthem of what God has done and the hook makes you want to sing and shout. And here you can see God's call of salvation isn't just personal. God isn't just interested in saving you and bringing you to heaven, though that's important. What he cares about is not just you, what God cares about bringing you to heaven. He wants you to see that there is a life-giving joy that, that you realize is so good that you want to sing and you want to shout about it. And when you do that, the nations watch outsiders, your neighbors watch and see it. And that is so compelling to the rest of the world. And this, they see what you care about, the joy that actually is satisfying you, what is truly bringing you that, that, that deliverance. And I, I, I worry some Christians don't know how dreary their songs sound. Like, why would I want to join that? 
I worry some Christians don't know how dreary the message of salvation we're telling the world is. Like, why don't you shout? Why don't we all shout about this? Maybe because God isn't our strength and our song and our salvation. Maybe God isn't our strength. It's, it's, it's because we're our own strength. We're, we're relying on how, strength, how strong I am, no matter how puny that is. That I've, been, I've been relying on me. And so I don't need God. I don't, I don't have to reach out because I've been relying on me. Maybe God isn't my song because I'm my song. I'm constantly singing my own song and, and praising me no matter how badly out of tune I am. God isn't my present salvation because I am constantly attempting to save myself. Do you relate to that? That we say God is our salvation and yet how do we live? We, we live as if I'm gonna stress and overwork myself to death being my own salvation. And that's how I see God. No wonder the world doesn't wanna join in on that. No wonder they don't hear the, the beautiful notes of our song in that regard. Like, we, we, we think telling more people how to reach more people, how to uh, uh, tell all about, we want to train you to bring more and more people to a very unsatisfying salvation, a very unsatisfying song here, rather than focusing and encouraging you to, to lift up the majesty and the beauty of what Jesus has done. And so what we do is we create tracks and programs to demolish every argument and go door to door and to, to make ourselves enemies to the people around us. Yes? None of us actually does it. <laughs> and I get it, because it sounds like a pyramid scheme. And, and I don't want to be a part of that. And so <laughs> I get it. I get the pushback to evangelism. 100%. It feels tacky. It feels inauthentic. It feels self-serving. And yet, <laughs> Isaiah says, as we sing to the Lord, the nations watch. And they want some of that. And so, what I think this is telling us is that the more and more thrilled by Jesus you are, the more the watching world wants some of that. And so the focus is less on the world and more on Jesus. The more and more thrilled by Jesus we are, the more the world wants a part of that. And so we need to realize, we, need, we, we keep drinking from that well of salvation, the more of the love of the grace and the kindness that I've experienced, then I actually in turn want to share that grace and kindness and love with the watching world. They, they, they get a taste of what that beauty is. And this means that you just can't fake it until you make it. You actually have to believe it yourself. You need to go to the well of salvation so that the chorus bubbles up inside of you and you'll want to sing of his salvation. And so I ask you, is there someone that you've been praying for that they would come to know Jesus? I hope there is. I hope there's someone we do pray that would come to know Jesus. But as much as we want to focus on them and telling them about Jesus, let's also focus on our, the well of salvation that I daily want to come to. Lord, I need you daily. And so when they watch us, they, they're actually saying, there's something different about you. You actually believe this. You're not just trying to convince me to join your club. You actually believe this. You, you, you become more kind and more merciful. We become what we worship. And so let's worship the one who is ours and their salvation, who is beauty. And so as we are transformed, I think that's the best form of evangelism. I think it also helps to be around other people who sing too. I don't know about you, but I forget lyrics all the time. You guys do that? You, you sing like the first couple lines of a song, then you go, <laughs> just mumble. I heard the word watermelon. If you mouth that, it looks like you're saying everything. And so you just go, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. 
I don't know. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? I think many of us have forgotten the lyrics and we've just mumbled along. And what happens when we come into a, a, around other people who know the lyrics, they teach you the lyrics. They remind you of the lyrics. And not just the lyrics of a song, but of the truths of who God is. And this is why I think this is one of the most powerful places to be. Is that I'm not just reminded of what the songs are, but I'm actually reminded of the goodness and beauty of God when we are singing. That's why I'm reminded when I hear you reciting the, the apostle and the Nicene Creed, I'm reminded of the beauty and the truth of what we actually worship here. You are speaking it, not just to God. Yes, you're speaking it to God. You're singing it to God, but you're singing it into my soul to where I may have thought it in theory, but now I'm starting to feel it. And so I thank you, and this is why I think this is such a powerful room to be in. We're reminding each other of God's love on a deeper level. And so I just want to encourage you every single day to drink from that well of salvation, to come to God daily and say, Lord, I need you. I, need you. I, I, want, I want that salvation. Like, and so I'm just asking you, are you dying of thirst? I encourage us to, to jump in that water, to jump in that water and drink, like my friend Andy, and just <laughs> drink. God loves you deeply. I mean, as an electric cord has to stay plugged in to have life, as a hose has to be connected to the faucet, as a tree has to be planted in the ground, we need to keep coming back to that well of salvation and drinking over and over and over. And my hope and prayer is that this is the song that will stay in your head, not just for the rest of the day, but for the rest of our lives. Let me pray for us.